Stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Chris Perez brown founder of Upping Your Elvis, author of Free, author of Wake Up, author of Shine, and author of How to Have Kick-Ass Ideas. Welcome to the show, Chris. It's great to be on, Aiden. I was telling you, you've been keeping me company. I've been listening to the Shine audiobook for the last couple of days, and it's great stuff. It's spooky to have me in your, in your head for so long. I, <laughs> I, I hope you're recovering. <laughs> it is, man. I've been having traumatic dreams. Um, it's great great to have you on the show. We're going to talk about your mindset and the mindset you impart across the book, which is how life and business are so intertwined. Sort your life out and you'll sort your business out, whether you're a big corporate, etc., with your people. But before we go near that, it'd be great to talk about your backstory because it's a great one. Yeah, yeah, very happy to. So, um, so I actually started off um, life in the army of all places, um, where I soon realised I was way more of a lover than a fighter. So it didn't last very long. Um, but learned some important things there. Um, and then I think I did what everyone does, right? You know, I, I went to university. I got my degree. I studied abroad for a bit. I got my first job on the milk round. And then, you know, as time went on, I got promoted. I got into the, the place that I thought I wanted to be. And then um, I found that actually I had this kind of nagging itch and I just kind of knew that this wasn't for the rest of my life, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. And at the time I was running Carling Black Label. So incredibly successful. We, we just won brand of the year. We were the first brand to be valued at over a billion pounds. I was on the fast track program. I should be absolutely delighted, but I wasn't. Anyway, this itch got bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually I had no choice but to listen to it. And I had to take quite drastic action because I went to the head of HR and said, look, this isn't for me. Could you help me? And he, he just thought I was crazy. He thought, you know, I was, I was there, you know, the anointed one with a crown on my head. I should, be, I should be completely made up. So he didn't know any approaches that could help me understand it. So I ended up resigning. I went off. I went traveling. I read everything I could on creativity, on innovation, on personal development because I needed to come up with um, some inspiring possibility for my life. And really, that's when I fell in love with the path that I've been on since, because my belief is if you can innovate around people and you can get them excited about who they are, you know, what, what their purpose is, what is possible for them and get them to really self-express and be themselves, then actually all the brand and the corporate innovation just comes out effortlessly. If they're not in the right place, then you've got problems. So I am much more passionate about innovating around people because the results just flow very, very easily when you get it right. This idea of you having this underlying itch and not being totally satisfied, we see this so many times with people in businesses where they are stuck with golden handcuffs, where they're being well-paid, they've climbed to the top of the ladder, and they realize it's against the wrong wall. What's your advice for those type of people? Shake it up, get out. The difficulty is, and I think we've all experienced this at some point, when we've actually done pretty well, that's the biggest trap that can happen. Because actually, there's no reason to shake it up. As you say, you've got the golden handcuffs, you've got the car, you've got the office, you've got the budget, you've got the name. And, and actually, it's very easy just to use that as a little, you know, as a little duvet that you just go to sleep under because it's comfortable and it's okay. And it feels like you're achieving something. But deep down, if you know that it's not enough, if you know that you're not being as exceptional as you could be, and if you know that life is just not as technical and as extraordinary 
as is possible, then I think you owe it to yourself to do something more dramatic. And quite frankly, when you're in that situation, it's quite hard, I think, to really stretch out. So, you know, do something drastic, chuck it in. You know, you're obviously talented enough. You can come back to that type of job if it all goes horribly wrong. But I would say that, you know, nine times out of 10, you will find yourself flying much, much higher very, very quickly. And you'll never, ever doubt that decision. And it's one of the things you talk about in your books is not to care what people think. Because I find that what people I've talked to, this is the biggest challenge. They care what society thinks or they seem programmed by what society says they should be doing. Yeah, well, we are. I mean, you know, the, the way that we learn to get on is we socialize to the norms and we emulate the the leaders around us, the people that we think are doing things right. And, you know, if you take that as a, in a as your kind of life course, then naturally what happens is you get, you know, all your qualifications, you get your degree, you get your first job, you get a mortgage, then you want to get married, then you want to have kids and then you die. You know, I mean, it's basically this is the process that everyone goes through. And there is there's more detail than that in a career, but actually you follow a very similar path. And, you know, quite quite frankly, life has changed so dramatically. We have to we have to just challenge some of those norms and, and challenge some of those behaviors because you know, we don't have to live in a particular mold anymore. We are more free now than we have ever been. Um, unfortunately, our subconscious is still looking for all of those cues is to say, right, what, what is the right thing to do at this moment? What, what does society want from me? And the subconscious wants that because actually if we go back, you know, 50,000 years, this is how we got on. You know, this is how we survived in our tribes by making sure that, you know, the behaviors that we had were similar to other people around us and therefore we'd be accepted and supported. Those, those days are gone. You know, we, we don't have to fit in now. In fact, I think to win, you have to break out. You have to be different. You have to have something about you that is, is about the resonance of your unique talents and your unique character. And if you don't resonate that, I think that's where you start to just disappear. And, and if you disappear, it's very hard to have impact and it's very hard to have a fun life. And you talk about this as well, this authenticity. So the idea of you have a unique lens is due to your experiences in the world and that we should maximize that. And that actually gives you a distinct business advantage as well. Absolutely. I find it very sad when I work with leaders, which, which I do every week, and they basically describe their kind of their life history and where they've got to and how they got there. And so much of it is about them fitting in with a culture and taking on a particular set of values and behaviors. And then actually, when you get them warmed up and you start to talk to them about their lives, they've got amazing hobbies. They've had amazing experiences. They've got incredible talents and passions, all of which they seem to suppress when they turn up at their office. And I think it's those things that if we tap into, we're going to do much more extraordinary work. Um, and, and, and that's a, a lot of what my work is about. It's about helping people feel more confident to be themselves and to self-express and to bring those passions to play. Because when we do, we're going to do, we're going to do amazing work. Yeah, and this idea of you talk about liberating people, so liberating them in work where, like I see that as well, you see big corporates and people put on this mask, this persona that's not them. And it's almost like, they put their brain in the desk or they put their personality in their desk drawer until they get out. And sometimes yeah. I feel maybe the, the great hobbies they have, et cetera, is, a, is almost to break out from what they can't liberate yeah. at work. And then, you know, oftentimes they go home, they drink wine at the weekend to numb the pain of having to gone through the, the workday. And it's a huge part of their life. Work is a huge part of all our lives. We have to do it. So we may as well make it good. Absolutely. Well, if you think that a third of our days on this planet are work days, 
if you are not loving what you do and if you are not doing something that you're fantastic at, it is a horrible waste of life. So, um, so this, this whole kind of, you know, I'm doing it for the money. Um, it, you know, it's, I know we need money to, to survive, but you know what? We can make money in so many different ways. We should not feel restricted by it. Um, you know, we've, we've got to go out there and we've, you know, got to be that big version of ourselves and have some fun with it. I mean, the, the, one of the biggest problems I find with, with work is everyone takes it too damn seriously, you know, and they're too worried about getting things wrong and what people will, will you know, think of them and how, what the perception will look like and will they get that next promotion and blah, blah, blah. And then they, they only do kind of incremental ideas you know they just do the little tiny new flavor stuff because actually no one's going to reject that but equally it's not going to set the world on fire and and that's when business becomes dull you know if we have a bit more fun and you know we bring some personality to it then yeah it's not going to work every time but you know if you learn fast from the three out of tens to hit more tens and you keep adapting and you play a portfolio approach with creativity you you are going to win but you know you've, you've got to be prepared to take a few on the chin that links nicely with the idea of embracing uh, screw-ups. So you talk about this where if you embrace mistakes, you embrace like the, the authenticity we talked about where it's not perfect because life isn't perfect, but that's okay. But sure. I, I love some of the examples you give. You give this idea once of a company who gave out screw-up cards. Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically, um, it was a very simple idea. We were working with them at the time on how to encourage more bravery in, in the workplace. And they realized that everyone was just, you know, so scared of getting things wrong. We had to overcompensate. So, so they, they, they gave everyone, I've screwed up cards. And you had to play this card when you got something wrong. And if you did, it was like a get out of jail card. There would be no repercussions. But the real good twist was if you hadn't played it in your appraisal, they wanted to know why because it meant you weren't taking enough risk and you weren't getting things wrong. And it just became a whole open dialogue that suddenly came out onto the table so people could talk more, more openly about you know, their relationship with risk and which ones they liked, which ones they didn't, you know, what worked, what didn't, and, and talk about, okay, so when things went wrong, what did you learn and what would you do different next time? And actually having that conversation makes life you know, a, a lot more human. And, and, and obviously – it debunks this whole theory. The, the, well, so many people have this that to be a good leader, you have to be perfect. You know, you have to have all the right answers. You have to get it right every time, which is just ridiculous. I mean, it's it's actually beyond fantasy because what it actually does, it stops people from growing and being the ultimate version of themselves because they say, well, actually, if I get promoted and I become senior in this business, I have to have all the answers and I can never possibly do that. So I won't bother. Or even worse, when, when they don't have all the answers, they just make stuff up, which is equally dangerous. So I love the fact that, you know, we, we you know, the best cultures say we can't have all the answers, but you know what? We'll fess up when we don't have them and we'll explain how we can go and find them rather than this ridiculous pretense that we've got it all at our fingertips. And bringing that to corporate, to a public-facing one, you talked about the great example of Cocoa Pops back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Going back a little way now. So this is, this is basically where they, they basically renamed, didn't they? And they got it horribly wrong. But they fessed up to it, and then they got all their consumers involved. And as a result of it, they got the name back to where it should be. But more importantly, all their, their customers and consumers were basically going, hey, you're a cool brand. You know, you got it wrong. You fessed up. You got us involved. And actually, there was there was a better connection to the brand into the future, which, you know, is, is a pretty grown-up thing to do. And at the time, because that was going back probably about 14, 15 years ago, at the time, that's when brands had to be bulletproof and they never said they got things wrong. So at the time, that was pretty step change. I think people are doing a lot more now. Going back to 
going into work, living life on autopilot, because this is what essential theme that this idea of human transformation that goes through all your work, and that this is one of the biggest crises that we see in work life is this going into work and living on autopilot. I think it is, it's a big challenge for us all. And it's all really down to the design of, of our brain and how it works. So we've all had that experience of driving a long distance, arriving at the destination and not remembering large chunks of the journey. And, and, and it happens for a really important reason. Our conscious brain uses loads and loads of energy. It's like a V8 gas guzzling machine. It's fantastic for learning things from first principles, but if we use it too often, we tire. So we've probably all had that experience if we learn a new language or an instrument, you know, we, we fatigue quite quickly. So we save energy by switching to our subconscious, which in contrast is incredibly few efficient. It's like a, like a Tesla, I guess. And the way it saves energy is really straightforward. What it does is it looks around it and says, have I seen something like this before? And if I have, I'm going to assume it's exactly the same and therefore behave in the same way as I did last time. So you sit in the car seat, you recognize the steering wheel, the road, you go, hey, I'm driving, subconscious takes over, you arrive at the destination, saving lots of fuel and being quite safe. Now, the, the problem with autopilot is that it doesn't just happen when we drive long distances. It happens every time we do anything that seems like it's habituated or routine. So you go to the office it's a routine. You sit at your desk, it's a routine. Actually, you go home in the evening with your loved ones, it's a routine. Autopilot takes over. Now, we do need a certain amount of autopilot, otherwise we would fry. The difficulty is over time, it starts to encroach more and more on our life because obviously when autopilot is in charge, um, it will only choose things it's done before. If it's given the choice between something new and something old, it will go old every time because then it can be more fuel efficient. So, again, great for saving energy, but not very good for creativity because actually today as a leader, you need to be able to step back from the busyness and say, what's needed here? Because today is a unique context. It's never happened before. You cannot do what you did yesterday. And that's what autopilot will make you do. It'll make you do the same stuff day in, day out, regardless of the context. So I believe a key skill for us all uh, to be better creatives, but also actually to be happier, is to learn how to escape autopilot, you know, once or twice a day, quite deliberately, so that we can assess, actually, am I using my talents in this unique context in the best way possible? for me to feel satisfied and for me to actually make a decent contribution. The, the research that we did for the book suggests that we spend up to 80% of our time, 8-0, on autopilot, which is obviously a huge chunk. And when we do that, then we actually lose our creativity. And in a world where AI is taking over and there's automation and the future of work is drastically changing and we're in a knowledge economy, our brain is probably the most important asset that we have. It's what we've got. I mean, if you, um, if you think about where we're going with AI, if you want to keep a job that actually has some value, if it doesn't involve you know, creativity, um, social skills, emotional intelligence, all the things that robots can't do, then you, know, you are replaceable. Learning how to dance with the stuff we've got in our head is the way to make sure that we are still adding great value to this planet. And therefore, we need to get much better at it. So actually, I think it's a very exciting time to be, to be alive right now. I think what we are learning and how we are you know, changing the way we add value and how we're tweaking our perception of, of what work is, is incredibly exciting right now. But obviously, we're going through that change. And for some people, change is quite painful. 
um, which is which is why people like yourself, Aiden, and, and myself, we're, you know, we're in demand. Thanks for that, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> no worries. You threw me off there. <laughs> so, so talking about some of the solutions then to how to break this mundane life or to uh, how to break the mundane work life and how to bring more creativity into our worlds. Would you give us some examples? So some of the tools, some of the toolkits, some of the exercises that we could use. Yeah, so so on the on the kind of how to wake up and escape autopilot, if you think about it in, in very simple principles, all you really need to do is break out of habits and routines because if there are new experiences around you, new environments and new contexts, your subconscious can't kick in because it hasn't seen it before. So um, one very, very simple thing to do is just, you know, look through your working day and say, okay, what have I got going on today where I can change things up? You know, if I've got a weekly meeting with a regular group of people, you know, that happens in the same room and guess what? Most people have their favorite seat. Let's change it up. We're holding it in a different place. We're going to facilitate in different ways. We're going to bring some new stimulus in. Um, maybe I'll get somebody else to run it. Change things up you know, on a regular basis. And then the subconscious can't just kick in. So you can do simple stuff like that. You can sit at different desks, you can move around, you can get outside and use different environments. But ultimately, you know, I, what I like to do is, you know, I like to make sure I've got a couple of things in every day that just have to jolt me off autopilot. Um, and, and they can be very, very simple things. I am, um, one of my breakthroughs, which um, is a, a story that I still enjoy telling because I, I've been I've been wrestling, I guess, with the, the issue of autopilot for you know for some years now, and it happens to me as much as it happens to everyone else. We've got the same brains, um, and I, I had a breakthrough when I was I was at a wedding. A friend of mine has got a business called Finisterre, which is a, a cold water surf company, and it's um, it's, it's great business. We do we do a fair bit of work together. But he got married, and um, I was down at his wedding reception, which was obviously on a, a you know overlooking the sea on this peninsula down in Cornwall, and um, I was chatting to his, his head of marketing, a guy called Ernie. And Ernie's one of these guys who just has a buzz about him. Every time he walks in the room, he changes the temperature. There's a fizz about him. There's a possibility. People love him. Um, he's just got good energy. And, um, and I was like, Ernie, come on, man. What, what on earth is your secret? How do you have this energy day in, day out the way that you do? And he's like, no, nah, nothing, nothing. I'm just, this is how I am. I don't do anything at all. And then anyway, a couple of glasses of fizz later, he said, all right, there's one thing I do but it's weird. I'm like, fantastic. Tell me, I, I, you know, if, if, if now is not a time for weird, I don't know what it is. And he said, well, every time I go to the loo, I do 20 press ups and I'm going, Ernie, <laughs> that is weird. My friend, <laughs> I, I hope he washes his hands, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he was very clear to point out that, that, you know, it was the time he went to the loo, not the place. So that, that was the key thing. <laughs> okay. But, um, but I said, okay, so how does that help you? And he said, well, you know, two things. And, and one is it keeps him fit. And if you see Ernie, he's ripped, right? And he never goes to the gym. So he's got great fitness. Second thing is he says that he knows every hour or so he is going to get the blood pumping around his system. He's going to get more oxygen into his brain. And therefore, he is guaranteed to wake up. And at that point, he steps back from the busyness and says, what am I doing here? Am I using my talents in the right way on the right stuff to create you know, some real value today? And is it fun? And if it's not, I'm going to change. And it just struck me, we all need some little Ernie techniques, little things that you can do every day to help you break off autopilot. And we've just experimented with thousands of people through Psychologies Magazine. 
and we've um, we've had a load of bloggers take part and we've researched it and we've got an app with all these different activities and and people are inventing their own things to do and and they're just incredibly simple things it could be spending the first 10 minutes outside every day with no phone just connecting with who you are the world around you and just going hey what do i want from this day you know what am i going to do today so that at least when autopilot kicks in you're going in the right direction it could be playing with nutrition it could be playing with exercise it could be you know, shifting perspective slightly. There's there's lots of different things that you can do. The important thing is you keep changing them every day because if you do the same stuff all the time, soon it becomes habituated and then guess what? Autopilot takes over again. The piece you mentioned there about earning and energy is key because you talk about this and if you can exert this energy or impart this energy everywhere you go and it is a differentiator, especially in yeah. some of the big corporates that you work in, that I work in, that are struggling. People are like automatons in these places. And that if you can stand out with that energy, it actually brings energy to the company. And people who don't understand it will try and dampen it. Energy is everything for me. So, uh, you know, up in your Elvis, all we really do is energy. And, and what we do when I say all we do is energy is we either bring more energy into the system or we take the energy that, it, that is in there and we make it more positive. And uh, that sounds incredibly hippie, but the results that we get are profound. You know, we, we, we were working with a company that was heading south. It was, it did about two billion a year. Um, it really wasn't going to, you know, last another five years um, the way it was working. And it had loads of energy in it, but it was all negative energy. And we came in and turned it around. It became the fastest growing FTSE 500 within three years of us doing that work. And it was all down to changing the energy. So, Yes, you have to do some stuff around structures and process and get the right people in there. But energy, I think, is key to successful business. And more and more leaders are getting this. Um, you know, when, when it comes to creativity, if you want people to think differently, don't give them a tool or technique. Just don't even worry about that. Get their energy right. You know, get them more tuned into who they are. Get them to access their subconscious. Get them to flow and you will find that their ideas come effortlessly without any tools or techniques because the energy is right. Equally, you need to get the energy right for a board meeting. It needs a particular focus, a particular presence, a particular way of being. And so often I will go into business and because people are doing too much, they don't get the energy right. You know, if how many meetings do we go to where, you know, you see a lot of people in a the room, they don't know why they're there. They don't know who everyone else is. They don't know what's expected of them. They don't know what the vision of success is. They look exhausted. They're late because their last one overran. They've been fueled purely on coffee. And we wonder why the output is rubbish. It's all energy. So, uh, you know, I am massively attuned to energy. I have learned how to play with energy in lots of different ways over the years. And you know, if there's one thing that I am hugely passionate about is about helping everyone else realize how to play with it, because then you, you, you don't have to just take the hand you're given. You know, there are some days you go into work and you are invincible and you know that regardless of what happens, you are going to win. And there are other days you go into work and the fact you've run out of coffee is enough for an emotional breakdown. You are the same person on those two days, but your energy is different. So, you know, I just want people to understand that they can choose more of those good days. And by doing so, their lives become more extraordinary, as does their work. And this is one of the biggest challenges, Chris. You, you know, 
you talked about the the energy and tuna, and you mentioned the world hippie like, and I find this is a big challenge. So even some of the themes that we would cover on the show, people going, "Oh, you're going a bit hippie there," you know, when it talks yeah, about yeah. the law of attraction or law of vibration and stuff like this. And I know you're a trained Reiki master, for example, and that is all about yeah. energy. And when you look at a business and you look at a leader and you look at the paradigm in which business is operating in, it's so hard for people to break out. It's almost like they've been brainwashed a certain way. Yeah. And and it takes a few leaders to wake up themselves in order for the organization to wake up. And one of the problems I'm sure you see the whole time is you'll have somebody wake up within the organization and leave rather than wake up and actually change the organization because they don't have the power to do so. I think that was certainly the case, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I know, I know when I started doing this work, I used to teach Reiki actually on some of my leadership courses, but I would call it something like energy management, you know, and, and I used to do hypnotherapy, but I'd call it visualization because actually people didn't want that stuff and it didn't belong in business. I now get people phoning me up going, Chris, can we do some of that hippie shit? Uh, the, the world has changed. Yeah. You know, there is an appetite for it now that is way beyond what it used to be because people have switched on to the fact that actually to do great work, it's not all about the rationality. It's not all about the ROI. The ROI will come if you have faith in it, but you can't just obsess about that. I, I love the quote that, you know, was, um, was believed to have been on Einstein's wall, which was what counts often can't be counted and what is counted often doesn't count. And I just think that's so true. You know, leaders now know that there is something called energy in a business and it is profound and it probably has more impact on their bottom line than anything else they do, but you cannot measure it. It's not something you can get a little machine and go and go, what's the energy of the culture like today? But they know it exists just as they know that love is probably one of the most powerful things on this planet. But again, you can't measure it. And we are still catching up and it's going to take some time and we, we're not there yet. And that's good because I'm loving the work and I don't want it to finish right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it's exciting because it's changing and it's changing fast. Turning then to, to some of the tools, we touched on some of the stuff like one of the, the most simplest ones you talk about is tuning into your own state. So going back to the individual now, how yeah. we can actually change our own lives is, is this tuning into state on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a key life skill. So um, if if in Britain you say, how are you? The only polite response is fine. And the truth is we're never fine. There's, there's a lot more going on than that. So what we need to do is have personal awareness of actually how we are before we can have choice of what we do to change it. So a lot of the work that we do is helping people do that more often. And um, I suppose there's all sorts of different frameworks for it. You know, if if you are, you know, quite into energy, then there's probably seven foundations to your state and how you are. I tend to work with four because they're quite easy and people can get them. And and they're they're words that people have heard many, many times, which is basically your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual energy. And if you learn to check in on a regular basis every day and just take a deep breath, put a smile on your face and just go, right, physically, how am I right now? Am I in the right place to do the work I need to do, or is there something I need to do to change it? Then you can do something very deliberate. You know, often I'll go, okay, I've I've been sitting for a little while working. I need to move. I need to get up and stroll around. I mean, I'm talking to you now, strolling around, looking out at the sea with the sun coming in. Physically, I'm feeling good because I'm deliberately doing that to make sure I'm processing well. 
You know, but then you might say mentally, okay, how, how am I feeling? You know, do I have focus and clarity? Am I open to possibility? Or, you know, I'm a bit muddled. Am I a bit confused? Am I distracted? What do I need to do mentally, emotionally, equally, and spiritually? And I think when you get um, fluent in those four or when you get attuned to them and sensitized to when they are working for you versus not, then you can do deliberate actions to make sure that you change them. And they're not big deliberate actions. It might just be, you know, taking a time out. It might be just, you know, phoning a friend for a quick chat. It might be, um, you know, just making sure you're hydrated. But we need to constantly keep tuning those because they are constantly changing depending on what's going on outside of us and what's going on in our mental processing. And therefore, they can go out very, very quickly. Um, the important thing is you're in control of it. So you have a chance to get it back. Um, and, and, and the best people I work with become incredibly good at that because then they know that they've got a better chance to win. And the app does helps you with this as well, doesn't it? I mean, the, the app is like capture those moments when you're feeling great, capture the moments you're not feeling great, and just use it as an almost a GPS for life. So, so, so one of the things that we've noticed from Wake Up is uh, it's a massive experiment. And and what works for one person might not work for another. So what we're encouraging people to do is just to try stuff out uh, with, with a positive energy. And then every time they do something, there's a very simple way just to basically land the feedback so they can see how it's impacted them physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Over time, it learns what you like, and it starts to give you better insight into what you can do that fits your personality and your energy type so that you've got more of a chance to do stuff that is actually advantageous. And then, obviously, you can then follow other people who are like you. So, you know, there's a woodsman in Oregon who seems to be doing some cool stuff. I'm going to follow him, and he's got great ideas, and that's just made my life a bit richer. And then, hopefully, some people follow me, and I'll give them some ideas. And then the community aspect kicks in. So, We've only got about 10,000 followers on it so far, but everyone who's on it is is adding to the vibe. Um, and um, it's about to go quite large because what we're doing is we're taking the Wake Up app, um, we're taking the Wake Up approaches, some video content, some events, and we're putting them into organizations as part of their, their kind of well-being programs. Because what we know from doing Wake Up is that 96% of people who have taken part so far um, feel happier as a result which is great. Um, but equally, what we know is that a lot of people that have mental health challenges, which are incredibly prevalent in work, such as anxiety, self-esteem, or even depression, um, have found that they've improved against those challenges by taking part in Wake Up. So we, we're really keen to get it out to as many organizations as possible and get more people doing it. Because if it makes the world spin a bit better, then you know we feel as if we've done better work. So tuning into your state is, is one part of it. And then the next yeah. thing you talk about choice being key. So two t- different types of choices that we're always faced with. One is proactive where we make it. And then there's reactive where we're, where choices thrust upon us. Yeah, absolutely. So I, 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 again, I think when, when we start to become reactive, I think that's a, a big clue that autopilot is, is taking over because when our, when our subconscious is managing stuff, we, we, you know, we are reactive. Um, when we're off autopilot and we're being conscious, then we can respond, which means we can consciously say, in this situation, what do I want to do, rather than the knee-jerk reactions that we often, we often take. So, um, so actually, understanding the way that um, the world impacts us actually gives us a clue as to whether we're an autopilot or not, which then hopefully will help us make better choices and get more conscious. And another thing you talk about, Chris, is, is this idea of forced serendipity. So 
putting yourself in the opportunity for serendipity. Yeah. You remember your story about uh, the dolphins, for example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am a huge believer that we resonate a particular energy and um, we often don't necessarily think about what that is. If you get particularly clear on who you are, what you're passionate about, you know, what your intentions are for the day, the week, the month, your life, then resonate it more. I think it attracts other people in the same energetic sphere. Um, so you can attract, I think, opportunities, talent, uh, fun, all sorts of things to your life if you just learn to do that. And, um, and the Dolphins one is, was a classic where um, I think it, it, this is the story when I was, I was studying um, Reiki in New Zealand, right? That's it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, I, was, uh, I was there. I, I, I decided, actually, I had a very strange experience where I had a psychic girlfriend and, a, and her father was psychic, and they kept saying that I was going to become a healer. And I said, don't be stupid. That really is hippie. You know, I've just left the army. I'm all into maths and science. Da, da, da. Anyway, one day I got hot hands after coming coming back from the pub and a friend of mine had a, a bad shoulder. And because I'd had a couple of pints, I went, don't worry, I'll fix it. And within a minute, a three-month-old injury that was quite profound was completely gone, at which point I went, oh, my Lord. I don't know what this <laughs> means, but I have to recalibrate everything that's going on. Um, anyway, I, I researched hot hand healing, heard about Reiki. And, um, and I thought, hey, I should, I should learn about that. And I was in, in Queenstown in New Zealand, and uh, I just got into this idea of Reiki. I got off the bus, and there was a big sign in front of me, right in front of the bus, saying, Reiki course this weekend, where I went to learn. And I had this, you know, this rather crazy uh, uh, Reiki weekend where you do all these visualizations and stuff, and, and you learn how to manage energy and play with it and help others. And... Um, in, in one of my visualizations, there are all these dolphins, and, and I had this, this very cool visualization. Came straight from that, bumped into this guy who I'd never met before, and we'd just been kind of, you know, until that weekend, and we just started chatting, and he just said, dolphins, which is just kind of the, one of the most bizarre experiences. Anyway, hmm. uh, you know, we ended up being, being great friends. He, he ended up helping me understand a, a lot more about energy, and it was that energetic connect that I'm sure came from the fact that I put it out there. Now, for a lot of people, they're going to go, whoop, whoop. But I'm sure you've all had those moments where you've had deja vu, you know, or, you know, you phone somebody and they're going, hey, I was just about to phone you. There's so many times that these little energetic nudges happen in our lives and we, we don't make a big deal out of them. So if they're happening all the time without us putting it out there, then if you put it out there, Obviously, you get a bit more resonance. You get a little bit more happening. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a big believer in it. Um, I listen to those itches, to that gut feel, to that intuition, because it's always telling me something useful. And I think the best leaders I know have a beautiful balance of rationality and intuition. And it's that balance that I think helps them make much better work happen. And you mentioned Einstein, for example. I mean, he was a huge believer in this. Uh, uh, and, yeah. you know, because he did so many rational things, what, what we perceive as rational in the world, it's accepted that he had this irrational side to him. And my, bro my brother's also a Reiki teacher. He teaches in, here in Ireland, and he's one of the leading guys in Ireland. The stories I hear him tell are phenomenal of people yeah. self-healing, etc. I think it's so intertwined with business. You're starting to see the difference now. You're starting to see 
business more open to the fact that energy is everything within a business. Yeah. But, but also there's this thing you talk about, which is the filters we have. When we change the filter of something that happens us and we reframe it as a positive, good things can happen. Or, or, and again, I suppose it's, it's focusing on the positives. Yeah, so there's there's um there's a load of research that has has been um, done around positivity, and um you know I, 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 we've all experienced it, haven't we? we? We know certain people when they come in the room, the very hope disappears. You know, we know them, right? And then there's other people that can come in, and you know it, everything's gone horribly wrong, but they can turn that into a party. And I know who I want to play with. It's the latter because you know they, they've got more positivity, therefore there's more possibility, therefore. We're going to have more fun doing it, and we're going to create something interesting and new. And that's what I think people want. You know, we want that type of leadership. So I think being positive, it gives you an unfair advantage as a leader, which is great. It also makes you more insightful. We know that. Um, it helps people sell better. It helps doctors, would you believe, diagnose more accurately and more quickly if they are in a positive state of mind. But, you know, we don't need to go through lots of research on it because we know it because we feel it all the time. And, and our brain has um, the ability to be incredibly positive. However, it's actually got an inbuilt negativity bias. So if we go back that 50,000 years, our, our brain has only developed about 10% in that time. So our brain is actually designed to be um, you know, a caveman or a cavewoman. And number one on your survival list as a caveman or cavewoman is survival. So what we developed brilliantly was a negativity bias. So if a bush was rustling in the distance, we would assume it was a saber-toothed tiger that was coming to eat us, all right? And actually, we'd react to that incredibly quickly with a fight-flight-freeze me mechanism. And actually, the faster we react to it, the more chance we've got to survive. Now, the fact that nine times out of 10, when that bush rustles, it's our mate Bob coming back from a hunting expedition. <laughs> if I assume it's really dangerous, I survive anyway, right? So. Yeah brain would prefer to imagine everything is dangerous because then we will survive. Now, that was a brilliant mechanism 50,000 years ago, but you know we, we don't have the same challenges today. There are no saber-toothed tigers. There are no dinosaurs. But our brain does the same thing. But today, what our brain does, it gets scared about change. It gets scared about newness. It gets scared about ideas, new people, new situations, new places. Therefore, we have this negativity bias kicking in all the time that we engage in anything that could potentially be dangerous to us in that perception. So we have to work really hard to be positive. We have to, we have to work deliberately to say, actually, this new situation that I'm facing, there's good in there. Yeah, there are, there's something in there for me. There's something in here for the planet. And that, I think, can only really happen when you are being conscious, when you breathe well, when you get your state right, because when you're on autopilot, the caveman brain will kick in. And the caveman will say, eh, danger. Let's just do what I've always done and get away from that newness. Moving on, you talk about the idea of going with the flow. When you're in this idea of resisting that caveman brain or that negativity brain, you're in the state of resistance. But you talk about actually going with the flow. And you give a great story about your mate with the Ray-Bans. <laughs> yeah, Paul. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lovely story. He basically... He lost his. He brought some brand new Ray Bans on holiday. He was jumping about like an idiot in the waves, um, as we so often do, uh, while still wearing them. And obviously, he lost them into the sea. And he struggled to look, and he struggled to find, and he couldn't find them anywhere. And it was all very effortful, and it was all 
bit panicky. And then he just lay on the top of the water and just noticed where the current took him. And obviously the current took him where it took his Ray-Bans. And before long, he was reunited by his precious, uh, with his precious <laughs> eyewear and all was well again. But, um, you know, it's a nice, a nice story of us not pushing harder and struggling because quite, quite frankly, um, trying to control the world around us is an impossible task and we can lose so much of our own energy and, um, uh, and, and, and our, I guess our belief and our drive if we're constantly leaning in and pushing hard. You know, if we learn to go with where the energy wants us to go, then actually life can be you know, incredibly good fun. And actually we'll take some rides we wouldn't ordinarily take. So I, I often find myself, you know, if I'm, if I'm working away and I'm going, geez, this is hard. It's a really good clue to step back and just go, what are we doing? <laughs> What's going on here right now that isn't quite right for the energetic system? You know, isn't quite right for me, for my intention, for where I'm going. And actually, just by realigning myself with the energy of the world around me, I can then start to, you know, go with the waves a little bit more. And I, I generally find that I achieve a lot more. It's a lot more fun. And actually, I've still got some energy left at the end of the day. So I'm a big fan of going with the flow. When I read about that story, it resonated because I thought about how you could have an amazing business model, an amazing product, amazing service, but when the team's energy is all pointed in different directions, it just won't work. You might get some short-term wins, but the long-term, it won't work. But then you could have an average product, an average service, but the team are totally united, totally in flow with each other, and the business just goes amazingly well. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. And again, it's just it's just this energetic alignment again. You know, if we make stuff easy and attractive and fun, it tends to happen. We all know this, you know, when we're trying to change habits, right? You know, it's the new year. You know, how many people put a resolution out there that actually wasn't fun and effortless and energetic, but it was hard work and they made pictures of it not being, you know, something that filled their soul. And guess what? It, it lasted two days. Um, and, and it's the same in a business, just as it is with the change of behavior. So yeah, I mean, you know, make it easier. And what about the leadership? What what is the common denominator you see, Chris, with companies that succeed? You mentioned that company, the two billion dollar company, yeah, that changed around. What's the common denominator you see for success? It's a good question. One thing which is totally key is committed, inspirational, energetic leadership. I, I have never made a culture change program sing without it. I've had some good work and it's been successful, but for it to really sing, you need somebody to go, hey, I'm backing this up. We're going that way. I'm going to role model the behaviors. I've got your backs. Years ago, I remember doing an incredibly naive thing. I, I listed down all the businesses that I thought I wanted to work with around the world. And at the time, this is, this is going back a while, it was, you know, your Pixar's and your Apple's and I think even Sony was on it then. And what I realized when I met all these businesses was it was nothing to do with my perception of what the brand was that gave me success. It was all to do with the individual leaders in there. And guess what? In some of those businesses, they've got shocking leaders and you don't want to work with them. At the time, the most inspirational leader that I was working with was, would you believe, working for Kimberly Clark, okay, which is not wow. a particularly sexy business, but he was a very sexy leader. He took risks. He put himself out. They did amazing work. So... It's not the business, it's the leaders that count, I'd, I'd say is number one. Um, I think there needs to be a need as well. The worst companies for change are the ones that are doing too well. 
and they they don't feel the pain of where they're at, and they, they don't get excited about where they could be. So I, I, if it's a, a very successful business, I have to work much harder on them seeing the possibility than those that have already got a bit stuck, and there's a good reason to change. So that, that's another factor. Um, and then, then it comes down to the people. You know, there, there are some companies that seem to attract just more fun, interesting, creative talent than others. Um, you know, I, I don't tend to find I have the most amazing time working with finance companies. Don't know what it is, but, you know, mm. the people there seem to be incredibly stuck, all about, you know, being risk averse, all about looking at the numbers, hierarchy beyond belief, bureaucracy beyond belief. And therefore, it's like wading through treacle. Yeah. Whereas, you know, companies that are a bit more fleet of foot, a bit more present, a bit more, you know, a, a bit more about today, they seem to be much more up for it. So, yeah, th- those are a few factors. Interesting. And then coming on from that, so one thing you talked about, this is a really exciting time to be in business and be in life. And you talked there about also the companies are doing so well, obviously have difficulty in seeing upcoming problems. You mentioned this as well in Shine. It's also what happens in life because we're at this point in life where our basic needs are met like never before. Every moment is filled. We have distraction always in our lives that it's actually difficult to take a step back and tune in to what might not be right. Life is happening faster and faster. If you say to people, hey, are there more demands on your time and attention now than 10 years ago? Everyone says yes. And if you say, do you think that's going to slow down in the next 10 years? They all go, no, 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 no. It's just going to speed up. And that's just the reality. You know, that's where we are right now. And when we're busy, autopilot kicks in a lot because it has to f- help you filter out all these demands on your attention. And you can't do all that consciously because you can't focus on it. So therefore, a lot of stuff goes into your subconscious. Therefore, autopilot is, is at the helm for a lot of the time. So actually, I think we're more challenged to step back from this busyness and ask actually what's working, what's not. You know, what, can I, what can I change up th- than ever before? And actually, when you surround yourself with the comforts of life, and I say the comforts of life, which is, you know, we got shelter, we got we, we got amazing nutrition, um, you know, we we can travel, we can go on holidays, we can surround ourselves with entertainment twenty four seven. We got social media, we're t- constantly connected. We can ask a question and get an answer immediately. I mean, it's it's an unprecedented time, and and, and quite frankly, life expectancy is getting longer and longer because we've got all the science to do it. So. The need to really take things up a level, you could say, is not really knocking on our door. You know, it's not it's not as visceral as it has been by any means. So, I think what we're going to have to tap into um, is a lot more about our intuition. It's a lot more about us understanding actually <clears throat> when things feel right and when they don't feel right, and how do we tap into our passions? I I did a TED talk a couple of years ago. And I was fascinated. There was, a, there was a futures guy there who did this wonderful chat about you know, what's going to be happening. And he said, you know, the biggest problem in 30 years' time, it's going to be why people get out of bed in the morning. It's going to be what meaning do they attach to their lives and their days? And what purpose are they passionate about carrying out? Because a lot of the stuff you know, that we do now that takes up our time and our energy, we won't need to do anymore. And you know, when we get surrounded by that much comfort, then we have to look at ourselves even more, I think, if we're going to have meaningful lives. It is a fascinating time. The mental health challenges we're having now are going to be exaggerated beyond belief in the next 30 years. And if we don't get to understand ourselves better, 
and understands how to get into a happier, more energetic place, then we're going to have a lot of problems on our hands. And a final word, Chris, on, on creativity. You mentioned that everybody has the potential for this. And I, fe- I feel this is a real energy that comes from you, both in your TED Talk and all your books and all everything you've written, is that you believe in liberating this creativity in people. But one of the biggest challenges we see is in school, creativity is knocked out of kids, but kids actually hold almost the key to creativity. Yeah. First off, I think education and teachers and heads, they, they get a lot of bashing. And, you know, first off, I'd like to say that, you know, they are obviously vital for our future. They do amazing work and it's a, it's a tough job to do. Agreed. Um, however, I think that they've got their hands tied behind their backs because they have to follow a certain curriculum that's dictated by the government. And it is an old school curriculum and we are taught in old school ways and we're learning stuff that is not useful anymore. What we need to do is teach our kids to think and learn how to find answers and how to experience things rather than, you know, this traditional way of, of educating them. Um, yes, we need to be able to read and write. That's important. And adding up is quite useful too, but this kind of, um, you know, writing essays about you know the fire of london um is that going to be the thing that's going to set us apart i don't think it is i think helping kids learn to learn and how to make sure that they are rounded individuals in society who actually ladder up to understanding that they're part of a world population and actually as a world population we need to lean in together to make this this place better rather than just thinking that you know they belong to this country they call home because quite frankly we've got to elevate our perspective if we're going to solve a lot of the problems that we have nice man nice and i meant to say i, I love where you got the title upping your elvis for the company yeah so well that's that's our good friend bono right so when he was doing his third world debt campaign, he used to have to go into organizations and he wanted to work out who to play with really quickly. So he used to ask what I think is a fantastic question. He used to ask, who's Elvis around here? Now, if you ask that question, people can answer it immediately because what you're really asking is, who here's a bit of a brand, a maverick, they get stuff done, they break the rules, they've got energy about them and they love every second of it. Now, <clears throat> I fundamentally believe that business needs more Elvis now more than ever. And I also know that we all have a bit more Elvis within us all. We just need to know how to tap it and get it out. And that's what my passion is. That's what we do um, in in the organization. We help bring the Elvis out in people so that their organizations can be more successful. And i got to tell you, I have never been happier in my life doing that. Beautiful. Chris Perez-Brown, author of Free, Wake Up, Shine, and How to Have Kick-Ass Ideas, and founder of Upping Your Elvis, and a true Elvis of life. Thanks for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure, Aiden. Nice one, man. <laughs>